All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya Georgetown basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and tonight we have a special former student reporter edition. I'm joined by two guys, previously did some time with the Georgetown Voice, Joe Policino, Tyler Perry. Guys, it's been a long time. What's up? Not much, Bobby. Hey, Thanks Bob. for having me. Yeah, Bobby. Thank you. It's uh, it's nice to have us all uh, in a on a on a call again, even though uh, we can't do it in person. So you guys basically passed the torch at the Voice. If you can remind me real quick, sorry, I've been covering Georgetown now for different outlets for ten years. Um, Joe, I know that you're a little bit older, but not much. If you could tell me when you came in, who was your recruiting class, and then Tyler, you do the same. So my freshman year at Georgetown was the 2012-13 season. So that was the last year of the old Big East. So that was okay. the year they, they lost to uh, to Gulf Coast in the tournament. It was a fun year until you got to the month of uh, the month of March. Um, and then I covered the team. I joined The Voice my freshman year, but I started uh, covering the team kind of religiously for uh, for pretty much all of my sophomore, junior, and senior year. So I graduated in uh, – in spring of 2016, which was definitely on a low point from uh, from where I came in my freshman year. So, so your freshman class is DSR, Hayes, Bolden, and Domingo. Yes, and David Allen. Don't forget David Allen. I think he was drafted in the G League. Yes, he was. I think he was. But yes, that was our uh, that was our class. And Tyler, did you guys overlap at all, or he he just passed you the uh, baton? Yeah, so Joe's senior year was my freshman year, so that was 2015-16, so Derrickson, Govan, Caleb Johnson were the freshmen on the team at that time. Uh, Joe was the sports editor at the time that I started. Uh, I started out on men's soccer, kind of did occasional photo opportunities with the boys at basketball games, but then, similar to Joe, um, covered the team pretty religiously from for the next three years. So that would have been 16, 17, 17, 18, and 18, 19. Um, but in the last two years, I, I covered the team for Big East Coast Bias. I um, uh, Other people took over as a voice at, during that time. So for both of you guys, did you guys come in knowing you wanted to do this? Like, is this something before you got to Georgetown? Because I don't think either of you are journalism majors. Is this something that you're like, you know what, well, I'm going to Georgetown. I want to cover sports. And obviously with no, you know, FBS football, this is the thing to cover, right? Yeah, I mean, for me... Yeah, go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead. Yeah, so for me, I actually came in wanting to be a manager for the team. I had a high school basketball coach who was pretty well-connected. He had coached at St. John's Catholic Prep at the same time Stu Vetter was coaching back in the late 90s, I think early 2000s. Stu Vetter. Because of that, he... Yeah, because of that, he knew a couple of people. And I think um, I think he knew Kevin Brodus. I think that was my connection at Georgetown. I think it was Kevin Brodus. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But I, I remember I, I was sitting in a, a math class senior year of high school, and I got a random phone call. And I pick it up, and it's somebody from, like, the Georgetown staff. And they're like, hey, like, we heard you're interested. And, like, you know, I, I kind of got preliminary talks with them and all this stuff. Um, and it kind of stalled when I actually got to campus and, um, you know, I got kind of tired of waiting. So I started covering like soccer with the voice 
And then um, at one point I attended a practice and like did all the managerial duties there and talked to JT3 briefly, but um, it just didn't really work out. And so I ended up, I wanted to be around the team as much as I could. So naturally uh, covering them was the next best thing. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad it ended up uh, in reporting and not managing. Uh, I don't know if I was cut out for all that work during a, during a semester. So, So wait, I've known you for years now. I feel like you've been to a Georgetown men's basketball practice. Like, do you know like what small percent of people alive that puts you in? Yeah, I know, but I had, I couldn't like, I couldn't say anything about it because one, I knew like it was super <laughs> like exclusive, but also I wanted to be able to cover the team still. So I didn't want to like ruffle any feathers and go around being like, I've been at practice and all this stuff. Like it was just a one-time thing. Like, I think it was in the spring after my freshman year, like after the season had ended, like April, May sometime, I just went to one practice and did like a couple of, uh, simple managerial tasks that the older managers showed me. And uh, I basically never heard back after that. So I guess I didn't do very well at those, uh, at those tasks. I didn't get the Gatorade ready properly or something. So let me just tell you, um, I went to JMU and one of my roommates was a manager, still a good friend. One of my other guys was on the team and that is a legit job. Like, yeah. I think a lot of guys think, oh, this is great. I play high school basketball. Like, I like basketball. Like, I mean, you're basically, you know, and a lot, look, a lot of guys flip that into becoming coaches and stuff, right? That's sort of the track. If you're not good enough to play at a, a level like that and you don't want to go D3 or something, like, you become a manager. But, I mean, like, that's a legit thing. And I know a lot of times, you know, when the managers get introduced on senior day, I think most people – that don't have an understanding of that, they think, oh, like, who are they honoring? Who is this guy? It's like, no, man, like that kid has put in his time and everyone in that program loves him by now because if they didn't, he would have gotten out of there. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's yeah. that's really hard. Yeah, no, trust me. Like I said, I'm very happy it ended <laughs> up uh, the other way around. Um, and Joe, did you end up uh, going that track or what's, what's your uh, story? Uh, I, I completely stumbled into it. Uh, I, I went to, like, like every... Uh, Every student, you know, beginning of the year when you get on campus, they have, uh, I don't know if they, they've renamed it for the third time yet or not, but at the time it was called the, the SAC Fair, the Student Activity Commission Fair or whatever, where they basically every club on campus um, puts out a table on the uh, lawn of uh, at Georgetown there. And, and I just, you know, got to know one of the guys at The Voice, Kevin Joseph, who kind of got me into it. Uh, I think you remember Kevin from oh, yeah. when he covered the team. Uh, and yeah, he, he kind of sucked me in and, and it was great. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a freshman, uh, in the fall there and I'm sitting, uh, my, my second basketball game ever was the, it, it was supposed to be uneventful. It was during the middle of finals and, and my finals period, I kind of had a little bit of a break. So I covered for one of the, uh, for Kevin and, and the other guys, Keith Levinsky, gotta give them the, gotta give everyone their proper due. Sorry for the names for anyone who may not know them, but you know, gotta give guys the shout outs where you can. And uh, it turns out it was, oh, a meaningless game against Western Carolina on a Saturday in the middle of December. And right after the game, that's when the seven Catholic schools in the Big East announced they're reforming a new Big East. So it's kind of a, a, a thrown right into the fire of how to cover a, a major, probably what was the biggest story on 
on campus that year unfolding right behind, before my eyes as a you know neophyte uh, reporter. So, and then kind of got sucked in from there. I mean, uh, went went from that, and, and and those guys graduated, and and I'm a sophomore, and and uh, covered along with uh, Chris Almeida. Uh, we kind of covered the team for our sophomore, junior, and and senior year. Uh, all the way through. Chris Chris went on to become editor in chief of, of The Voice at the time, and uh, I stuck stuck to what I know best, which was just sports and and, and basketball, which I love. Having having played in in high school and been a you know lifelong basketball fan, probably my favorite sport to watch. So it was the best of both worlds for for someone like myself. Yeah, it's funny the names that you're dropping, um, Chris and Kevin and. Uh... Was uh Pat was Pat Curran around that time? Uh yes, I think he was covering it for the Hoya at the time. He was Pat. my uh that was my freshman year. I think he was a senior. So Kevin, him, and Keith were all seniors when I was when I was a freshman in, in uh in the twelve thirteen season. And then um Laura Wagner. I just remember I don't know why, but I think I'm sort of stuck in that period. I you know, I started in ten eleven and between Georgetown and George Mason, I feel like both schools have put out a lot of really quality student reporters that I thought added value to the media availabilities, to the post game. Um, before that, I really just covered high school and then I did a bunch of pro stuff as well. So the relationship that the you know guys like you and the other people that we've just mentioned, I've always thought that Georgetown did a good job. Tyler tell me if I'm wrong and maybe it's just my memory not working. So you overlapped with him. It seems, and maybe it's just me just, you know, because different things in life are happening and getting older and stuff. It does seem like there's fewer and fewer students out there. I feel like at one point, and Joe, you can also speak to this. There'd be like three people from the Hoya, maybe two people from the voice. You got like a photographer. I just feel like the last couple of years at the end of games, I look around and there's almost like no one there. Um, from what I remember, we were capped with the number of okay. um, press passes we could get. If I if I remember correctly, and, and Joe, I might be wrong about this, we normally got two reporter passes and a photographer pass. Yeah, um, and, and, if we, have... and if we asked uh, if we asked Max really nicely, we could get three sometimes too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If it was brown on a Wednesday night and just in the middle of December, <laughs> you might be able to get. Yeah, a third. no problem. Um, yeah, then maybe yeah. maybe it's just me not making the connections anymore because I feel like I said all the some of the other uh, reporters that you've mentioned, I can like remember them, like I follow them on Twitter. You know, I became pretty good friends with you guys, but I was also you know had cool relationships with a lot of them, and it just seems like there's fewer fewer people there. So maybe that's maybe that's just me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also <laughs> at the same time, like uh, my, my relationship, like in with people who like had been around the team for longer was facilitated by Joe a lot, who had put me in contacts, like had introduced me to you at the few games that I covered with Joe and stuff like that. So that really helped. I think one thing I could have done better when I was running the sports section was done that for people who were younger than me. I don't know if they would have felt that same level of comfort that I felt because of what Joe had done to facilitate those engagements. Well, thank you, Tyler. And, and Bobby, and this is a credit to, to you and, and, and Ben Stangdig uh, in particular, is uh, you guys, you know, very easily as, as the pros in the room could have, you know, scoffed at this uh, us student reporters coming in 
and you guys could not have been been more welcoming to us and, and, and make us feel at home and let us ask you questions, talk about stuff. And, and, and that, that meant the world to us, especially at the beginning when, you know, you just feel so intimidated by the environment. I mean, it's Georgetown basketball, Big East basketball you're covering, um, you know, with, with, you know, pros like yourself in the room and, and, and you went out of your way to make everyone, everyone feel comfortable. So we'll, ever, we'll forever be grateful for that. Well, check, check is in the mail. It's not a lot, but I think it could definitely help you with um, a dinner or something. But that, so that being said, so you guys obviously liked basketball before you got there. Were you guys Georgetown fans? And then also just what you just said. So you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, particularly for Joe, because the Big East was still the Big East at that time. You go from, you know, maybe covering a high school game or, you know, covering a field hockey game or something. And then you're in a room and it's post game and Jim, Cal- Jim Calhoun is there, right? Or Jim Beheim. And you have the opportunity yeah. to ask them questions. What is that like for a student? I when when I was a student, I really you know I didn't have that. What what what's that sort of like? Uh, it was really freaking cool. <laughs> and I still every every time I would get uh, you know you know I think I, I, it's funny you know when you contacted me to to uh, to do this podcast. I actually I'd never done this before, but I went through it and I realized I, I had the like. I counted, I covered 59 games at 10 different venues and 11, including 11 games at Madison Square Garden. If you told uh, eight-year-old Joe that he would get to have a a front row pass to, you know, to a big time college basketball program, uh, nonetheless, Georgetown, where, which I actually grew up following uh, quite a bit, uh, I would have, you know, pinched myself when I was younger. And it was just, it was just awesome, especially when you're, you're in the room, like, in the room with Coach K, Tom Izzo. Uh, unfortunately, missed out on Jim Beheim because he got suspended for the the game my senior year. He does uh, that from time to Syracuse. time. Yeah. yeah, he does that from time to time. Um, but yeah, it was just it, it was surreal. And you know, you see John Thompson Jr. in the back of the room. Uh, you know, it was it was just awesome. I, I, I still still uh, get carried away thinking about it sometimes. How lucky I was. Yeah, Joe seems to have had a, a little bit of a cooler head about it than I did. I was nervous as all get out, like the first time I I had to ask questions to somebody. I think uh, the first uh, coach I asked a question to that really uh, kind of, I don't know, I guess induced that nervousness was Beheim. That would have been, I think, probably junior year. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, I mean, after, after breaking the seal with the first uh, – you know, big name. I felt like it was pretty easy after that, but yeah, now looking back on it, I, I definitely agree with Joe. It was incredibly cool. I don't know if I'll ever have uh, something quite like that going on in my life again. And uh, I definitely appreciate it in hindsight. And I think I appreciate it at the time, but definitely more so uh, now, but to get to your original question of if I was following Georgetown growing up, I mean, I'm from Maryland and I had a, a friend's dad who worked um, with the Maryland basketball team doing radio broadcasts. So um, I went to a couple games with him and I was always really big into Maryland. Like Maryland is where I wanted to go. Like it's where everybody I knew, my sister was quite a bit older than me. She's like seven or eight years. And like everybody that she was graduating with was going to Maryland. And so Maryland was like the thing I was always thinking about. And then um, when I was in high school, that kind of changed a kid on my basketball team, his dad's company 
had a suite at Capital One. I guess at that time it was what Verizon. Yeah. Once you go Verizon. suite, you cannot go back and sit with the sit with the uh, commoners. Yeah. So we went to. I think I was a sophomore, and the varsity basketball team went, and the coach uh, just had an extra ticket and asked me if I wanted to go, and, and I went. And they were playing Louisville at the time, who was had been number one the week before, and then was number five going into that game. It was a gray out. The Verizon Center was packed. Everybody was going crazy. They beat Louisville. That was the Aaron two. Bowen uh, tipping game. The Aaron it was Bowen Aaron Bowen tipping game. game. Yeah, and I remember after that, I was completely sold on Georgetown. I started following the team like religiously. I had a, I was aware that Georgetown existed and stuff, but up until that time, I was fully on Maryland. But after experiencing, you know, that upset and seeing, you know, the students and all that, I was like, I want to go to college here. And then, obviously, Otto put up what was it like 33 at the dome and I was just like completely hooked and followed Georgetown pretty religiously after that so it took a it took a little bit longer for me to get on the on the Georgetown path but I'm glad I, I made it there oh man the, I'll never forget after that game Markel Starks was just talking up Aaron Bowen and you know Markel had a way of just kind of talking a lot and he's like you guys you guys don't see this in practice we, he's one of the most athletic people on the planet and we're like well yeah you know, he's definitely really athletic. Um, there's a lot of athletic guys that play pro sports, particularly in the NBA. But yeah, some of the stuff that Aaron Bowen did, that's actually a crazy memory. And I, I do remember that stretch. Um, Louisville, I think, went on to win the national championship that year. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Luke Hancock was the outstanding player yeah. in the final four for them. Yeah, former former George Mason guy. But they had a stretch where I think they lost three straight games. I think they lost to Villanova, Georgetown, and someone else. Maybe um, might have been Syracuse, but I do remember that because I remember Ben asking Patino some questions. And you know, at that point, you know, you're number one. I'm thinking, oh, the, you know, this team's cooked. And you know, he, you know, he's 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 won the title before. He's a pro, and he was just like, you know, just a bad week. There's a tournament, and at that point, you're thinking, oh man, Georgetown's great and Louisville's bad, and season didn't really end that way, um, unfortunately. Um, so every school does things differently. And before the Thompson Center, I thought one of the more unique things about Georgetown was the in-between game, the pregame availabilities, you know, in, you know, they play on Saturday, they're having availability on Thursday or something. And um, just to, there was some times we had uh, with JT3 where you almost felt like you were, and I wasn't in school there. I was much older. Um, but it, it sort of felt like he was a really good teacher. And there was times where the media sessions weren't that big. but And it was a lot more students than it was other media. And I'm just wondering if you guys, whether this was in the lobby of McDonough, sometimes we'd go up in the classroom, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, is there anything you remember particularly from that period that was sort of just the the ability to ask such a such a a public figure like jt3 in head of georgetown just ask him questions from the student side being like hey i'm taking you know religion and philosophy and math and econ or whatever but i'm also learning from this guy do you have any memories of that or is that just something that i was looking at thinking it was cool and you students were just like this is this is this is whatever well i think he the the, the thing that i will always give him credit is he was always super kind and, and open to us. And, and he didn't look at us as students. Yeah. Yes. If you walked in there, you know, your first, your first avail or first time meeting him and just came in uh, guns blazing, 
not the way to go. But no, you know, if no. you prove, if you if you proved, you know, if you were there every day, which we were for the most part, if you were one of the you know consistent, I would say there's every avail and every game there's probably the same five or six people who would be there every time. It'd be you, uh, you know, Ben, uh, Gene, or someone else from the Post, and then uh, us students reporters. Um, you know, he would he would always give everyone you know answer everyone's questions give everyone time of day, wouldn't, wouldn't look down upon a certain question because a student asked it or whatever. And, and sometimes he would say, yeah, that's a good question. I never thought of that that way. And, and those kind of formats. And I like that, you know, you're a lot of times, I don't know if it changed for, for later on, but we, we, I was pre Thompson center. So they used to do that in the, in the lobby yeah. the hallways of, of McDonough. Uh, so the kind of less formal setting of having everyone just kind of crowded around. It was not really a press conference. It was, or a media availability. It was kind of just like a, a conversation at least with right. him for 10 or 15 minutes, which was, uh, which was great. And then I always felt like the, the, the takeaway from this was, you know, I always felt like people thought of at least the, the, the perception was publicly for those who hadn't gotten to know him. And I, I feel it was unfortunate is that, you know, JT three is kind of a shy guy. He's kind of averse to, to, to making himself open to the media and all that stuff. And I would want to tell people, hey, just spend like 10 minutes at these two or three weeks in a row and you'll realize that it could not be further from the truth. But unfortunately, that disconnect just with, with Georgetown and, and kind of how at the time, and I think they still are, unfortunately, are set in the ways of, of doing things in terms of accessibility and, and, and kind of lifting the veil on things. Uh, you can never really make that connection and make it known, which was a little frustrating because you know, you knew him as, as someone who was who was great and who was open, but I, I just feel like that that kind of got lost at, at times. And then, Tyler, before you, you answer, what was it like for you guys when, let's say, somebody wants to, you know, to meet you for lunch? Like, oh, I, you know, you don't have class until three. You want to meet for lunch? Like, well, actually, I have to go talk to, uh, you know, Otto Porter or Marcus Derrickson mm-hmm. and JT. They're like, what are you doing? Like, what was that sort of like? I mean, well, all was, of my friends yeah. came from The Voice, so I, I oh, okay. don't think anybody really batted an eye at it, but okay. I don't know if Joe has a different experience. Uh, no, it was, it was it was cool. I kind of <laughs> got used to it, but it, it was definitely cool. It was, it was definitely like, yeah, uh, I'll see you guys later. I'm just going over to McDonough for an hour. I'm just going to talk basketball with a Final Four winning head coach and, you know, two McDonald's All-Americans or something like that. You know, like, it's right, just right. like pretty pretty uh pretty cool yeah and to kind of go off of joe's point earlier about um jt3 and his, just his demeanor and stuff like that i agree that the the setting of mcdonough's lobbies because my first two years I, th- I think my freshman year i had a i had a dorm room in vcw and my window faced the thompson center so every day i was seeing it you know filled up from the ground but so for my first year it was still the mcdonough availabilities and I, I completely agree with what Joe said. It was very informal and kind of conversation-like. And um, I will never forget this. One of my favorite, favorite memories from the four years I covered the team. Uh, somebody was supposed to go to the media availability for the voice, but I think they something came up. They had to go to office hours or something. And so randomly, I was like, it's okay. It's a very yeah, like, Georgetown answer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, like, yeah, I'll go in your place. I'll go in your place, whatever. And I had never gone before. And I didn't know it was so like intimate in a way. So I go there and 
I literally was the only student reporter there. And I think there were maybe like two or three people, maybe from the post. And Bobby, you might've been there. I can't remember. Georgetown was about to leave on a road trip. And after the media availability ended, I was walking out of McDonough the same way JT3 was so he could get to his car. And he was, he saw my shoes. I was wearing a pair of Jordan brand shoes. And he was like, oh, I love those shoes. Like they're so comfortable. And he and I just talked about like, shoes and i was like oh like where are you headed he said he, he was just talking about how he was going to cbs to get a bottle of like travel shaving cream because he forgot to pack it for his road trip for whatever reason it was just like it was so relaxed and i will i will always remember walking with him to his car on my way to class and just talking because it, it like joe said like when when stuff kind of did hit the fan and people were really calling for him to be fired and people were kind of being a little bit harsher on him than i think was necessary it, it was it was difficult because like you know, in a weird way, I felt like, I felt like that connection was, was, was nice. I enjoyed covering him. Not that I was like partial or anything, but it, it was nice. Like I just, it kind of broke down that, that wall, I guess, between like being a reporter and like being a, like a, a fan in a way. Like I just felt so like he made me as a freshman trying to cover the team for the first time, feel relaxed. And I, I'll forever be grateful to him for that. Um, so yeah, that that kind of changed when we switched to the Thompson Center. You couldn't have that kind of interaction now. It's very formal. You're waiting for the coach. Like as soon as the thing is done, Ewing goes back upstairs, and then they bring the players down. And uh, it's a lot less. I, I I didn't really enjoy the trans the transition to the Thompson Center. I I liked the informal, you know, randomly going to McDonough at 12 p.m. on a Wednesday and talking before they had practice, and it wasn't so formal. I think, I think we kind of lost something when we transitioned to the Thompson Center in a way. Yeah, those stories are, you know, that's, you know, that's why I asked those stories of getting to know people. And, you know, it's, he's, you know, it's not just this is a guy that has this, you know, big public job and there's, you know, a lot tied to it with winning and, with winning and losing. But um, I did feel like there was a lot of good pre-game media availabilities in McDonough, in those classrooms. It sounds like you guys haven't mentioned that, so maybe that was before Joe. We were up in the classrooms a lot. I don't know if you guys ever had class in McDonough, but they've got these they've got these classrooms up there. I yeah, did a they, lot of they would have, soccer. They, they would have the football and soccer press conferences. Yeah. Right there and there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I know the answer for Tyler because I was with him, but uh, – <laughs> Joe, what's your what's your favorite? And Tyler, you can you can definitely correct me. What what's what's your favorite road trip? I want to say that you went to Lawrence, right? Yeah, that was by far the the, the best one. That was okay. It, it wasn't a great result for Georgetown uh, basketball, but it yeah. was a uh, it was a heck of a trip. I've never Allen Fieldhouse is is one of the cooler things I've seen for for in terms of game day atmosphere. It's not like I've been around much but i i can say confidently that that's definitely at the top of the list if if, if not at the top it's pretty near it yeah, yeah. When we I flew mean, out we flew out to uh it was, it was like during the end of finals i had all my my stuff to go home with me afterwards i flew out with with chris and brendan crowley who was covering the team at the time flew out from dc all the way to kansas city then we had to get on like the uh they called it the road runner. It was basically how Kansas students got from Kansas city airport to, to Lawrence, Kansas. And then you get to Lawrence, Kansas, which me from, you know, New York, 
New York City area, you know, all urban, suburban, was looked like it was right out of uh, a Norman Rockwell painting going down, uh, I think Massachusetts Avenue is the uh, the main street there. Uh, and just seeing all the, you know, the planes and all that stuff. It was just, it was crazy. It was a really cool town to see, um, really cool environment. And uh, I will, when they do the uh, the decibel reading at the beginning of the game and then the rock chalk Jayhawk chant, uh, you, I, I get goosebumps just now talking about it. Kind of, it, 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 it was it was it was an unbelievable trip. That was definitely at the top of the list. Yeah, Bobby. I mean, you mentioned it. We you uh, so kindly drove me up to Nova. Uh, the pavilion. Nova we were the, the, at the yeah. At the we pavilion. went to the pavilion. Yeah, and Rodney Pryor and LJ Peak scored like twenty four straight points for Georgetown and like almost had a major comeback. I can't remember what the deficit was. We started we to like, believe. Yeah, yeah, we were we were about to drink the Kool Aid, but yeah, that was a lot of fun going to Villanova and back on a school night. Like that's something if you had told me when I was a freshman would have happened. Like you're gonna go to Villanova, cover a game, do post game interviews, do a Facebook live after the game, talking about sports with a an AP casual Hoya reporter. Like I would have <laughs> never believed you. Um, I also enjoyed freshman year. I went to the Maryland game at College Park just as a fan I didn't go as a reporter but that game was a lot of fun to be in the stands for um they hung around I would would say that was the second other than the Kansas environment in terms of road trips that was the second most intense uh environment I've been to for a college game it it was uh definitely definitely awesome and you know you had the whole local rivalry and then there's, I think Maryland was number four or five in the country at the time. That was the year they had uh, Melo Trimble. Uh, I think Diamond Stone was on the team. Jake Lehman, a couple NBA players. Suleiman. And then Georgetown. Yeah, Suleiman. And then Georgetown was, uh, you know, I think they, they, they got caught uh, looking ahead to that game because they, they opened up, you know, high hopes for the year. I think they picked finished second or third Big East that year. And they lost to Radford in double overtime in their first game right before that Maryland game. So we all went into that game thinking, oh, boy, if they lost to Radford in double overtime, like, you know, no disrespect to Rad- Radford, but they lost to Radford. I mean, top five team against Maryland. Uh, God, God help us what, what awaits us. And they hung around. And not only did they hung around, they were leading. I think they were up at the, the under four timeout of that game. I think they were up seven. And then it just the, the tide turned uh, so very quickly. At- I'm looking right now at the Ken Palm win probability just because I like pain. And with five minutes left, Georgetown's win probability was was 86.5%. Jesus. I mean, wow. if, yeah, if you I think, remember, think about how that changes the trajectory of Georgetown basketball, though. I mean, if they beat Maryland on the road, both, that season ended terribly. But I mean, both of those Maryland games, both of yeah. both of those Gavit games are huge. I mean, there's so many data points you can look at those last two years, um, you know, before the coaching change. But both of those Maryland games are huge, and they're both the you know losing to Maryland on the road was before it. Like uh, Joe just said, Georgetown was upset by Radford and. Was it double or triple overtime? And then when they when they blew the lead at home, they compounded that by you know giving one away to Arkansas State before they hopped on a plane to Maui. Yeah, no, it was not. It was not. Uh, yeah, like Tyler said, especially because that was my 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 senior year when they went to Maryland, 
I think the, 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 their next game immediately after, they went up to New York to MSG for two games. They played Wisconsin and they played Duke. And they, they beat Wisconsin pretty handily. And Wisconsin was in a rough spot. I think Wisconsin then made, made it to the, the Elite Eight that year or something like that. Uh, and then uh, Duke they was the uh, number one team. And they, they, were, they were leading Duke at the half. I mean, that, that team that year, especially in the early going, was kind of the, you know, you don't know what, which one was going to show up. Was it going to be the team that was supposed to make the tournament contend for the Big East or, you know, a team that was, uh, you know, should be playing in the Big South with Radford? Like, it was, it was just such a confusing, uh, confusing year. It was. It was a confusing year. Um, before we go on to the present, I know that there was some lobbying to discuss starting fives from when you guys were in school and who had the better starting five. Um, just real quick, I didn't go to Georgetown, but the players that were on Georgetown when I was in school, I would probably take the entire starting five from the 2001 Sweet 16 team just because why wouldn't I? Which was basically Kevin Braswell, Mike Sweetney. I think Anthony Perry came off the bench. You had Nat Burton, Lee Scruggs was on that team, Wesley Wilson, Gerald Riley. But that's that's my team. You guys are too young to remember that. But what are the teams you guys came up with? So I have two teams. Wait, this is like a guy that has two brackets, right? Oh, I had the upset in that bracket. Well, well, uh, here, are we trying to – and, and one thing that was kind of interesting to see it now, now in hindsight, it didn't really, it, it, uh, it, I guess, uh, realize it at the beginning or when I, when I was covering it, but it was also crazy how kind of college basketball changed in the four years or five years. I know it's a yeah. short period of time. Because I think the if you're asking me to pick a starting five for a Georgetown team to win the Big East my freshman year in 2012-13, I come up with a slightly different answer than I do if you want to compete right now in the way college basketball is structured, where you know it's spacing the floor, three-point shooting, and, and oh. all of that more guard more guard oriented. So you were but in school during the I rule changes. A... What was that? Yeah. You were in school during the uh, rule changes, with which is what a lot of people point to. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna hold cutters and stuff, certain offenses become less effective. Um... Yeah, and uh, you know, they went from my freshman year they had the 35 second shot clock, and then I think that went to my senior year to 30 seconds, where okay. it is now. And then they, uh, my sophomore year is when they instituted the rule changes with, oh, we're gonna call fouls much more aggressively. Um, in terms of, you know, hand checking and, and holding people on cuts and, and all that stuff. Um, and that kind of also, I think we've talked about this uh, numerous times off off the podcast here, but I think that also kind of contributed to Georgetown, at least, uh, you know, leading up to when I came to school and then my, my freshman year at school, they were known as, you know, one of the better defensive teams in the country. And that kind of, those rule changes kind of took away an edge to them, at least on the defensive end, where it just seemed like every game at the 12 minute mark, they'd be in the, uh, they'd be in the penalty just because they kept fouling people and they couldn't help themselves. Um, just, and that, they, that would put them at a severe disadvantage in a lot of games. Um, but anyway, going back to, so if we, if I was trying to win the big East in 2013, when they're playing, you know, the big teams of Syracuse, Pittsburgh, you know, Louisville, where it seemed like size trumped everything. Um, 
I think you basically, aside from, I think I think you go with the starting five of that finished that year, except you sub in uh, Whittington for Trowick, and then you put in you're gonna you're gonna laugh, but you put in Josh Smith for Mikhail Hopkins. How how do you beat that that team? Because you speak, one you have the size, and then so going going down if that if people don't remember. So I'm going with a lineup of Otto, Otto Porter, Markel Starks, Greg Whittington, DSR, and then Josh Smith at the five. It's good. It's a good lineup that never really got to see what it was like, right? No, no, we didn't. And I think that's that team's much more suited to compete in that era. Now, if you were to say, you know, take these guys and their abilities from when I was in school and transport them to today, I would still keep Otto, still keep Martell, still keep uh, DSR and, and Whittington, but then I would sub in Jabril Trowick for, um, Smith. for Josh Smith, go smaller. And then I know you asked for starting five, but then LJ Peaks the sixth man. That's my team. I'll go to war with those guys in today's college basketball. Did you guys see? Did you guys see that that Greg Whittington? I'm sure you did. Uh, has kept grinding, and he's now on a two way deal with the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah unbelievable. Yes, I saw that. That's him. awesome. Good for yeah. Greg. So, he's definitely had his ups and downs, unfortunately, at Georgetown. His freshman year, him and Otto were freshmen, and they used to have so many people between media and scouts at those games. Georgetown was always ranked, and you know everything was just sort of different and I, it was one of my first years and i used to sit up on the vom a lot which is like where you sit when you cover wizards which usually isn't even up for georgetown anymore because it's just not needed very often so i'd sit by the nba scouts a lot and i you know after a couple minutes you kind of look at the you know you're you know you're just kind of sitting there and you see so and so the name and you know who they're with and I, don't, you know, I always ask like who are you here to see you know and a lot of times it was the other team and like you know a lot of times georgetown and I remember, I won't say his name, but I remember a guy from the Celtics that first year, and he was like, the pro on this team is Winnington. Like, that, that's that's the guy. You're like, and then after a couple games, you're like, okay, I can absolutely see that. Now, there's, you know, Greg's not unique. There's been a lot of guys that have had the NBA tools, the NBA body, all that stuff. And, you know, life is hard, right? And it, it hasn't worked out for him. But to see someone like him, who we got to see him, you know, he was one of the guys that came out for the media veils and it, it was, it was impossible not to like him. Okay. Like it was, it was impossible. So for me, just as a person, I think it's great that he got picked up. I'm glad he's been a great player overseas and I hope he gets a chance to make it work with Denver who they just lost Grant. And I feel like they are probably looking around and saying, who's someone, you know, a long, you know, forward like that, that can, you know, do everything. And, they're like, look, this guy's tearing it up overseas. Let's give this guy a chance. Yeah, no, his, his uh, he actually he left or or was forced to sit out midway right. through my freshman year, twelve thirteen. Um, yeah, no, that he was, uh, you know, he he was obvi- obviously they they weren't playing all Big East teams, but they had some, you know, they had I think they played UCLA early in the year. They played Indiana, Tennessee, right. Texas, uh, and he was. You know, averaging double double, I, I want to say, or, or at least you know he was 15 and and 10, 16 and nine. You know, just had size, could defend. You know, four four out of five positions on the floor. He's just versatile, and and it, it's a shame that we never really got to see that pan out, at least at Georgetown. 
So I assume he's the five for your small ball team? He's the five for my small ball team. Okay. And then you'd have Otto playing the four, and you just have five shooters out on the floor. Because I, I, I think it got overlooked a little bit, but and I was I was looking looking at this while putting the lineups together. Jabril, his senior year, was a 40% shooter from three-point line. Like the guy could shoot threes. He kind of he, he he that was the skill, and I I remember it now, you know, being in the day to day at the time. Is that was kind of a story when we were covering him his senior year. Is you know he became progressively a lot better three point shooter over his time there, and uh, and he could defend anyone. We you you know Bobby, you'd be the first one to know. Like that, he, he was, and he he was the guy that that John Thompson Jr. said would be the only one that could play for him. Out of all right. the guys on, on Georgetown at the time, with the, his, the intensity and um, and aggression he brought out on the court, and also he was one of the better interviews and uh, better hangs off the court as well. Seeing him out, Gabriel's a good man. I believe I believe all of that. Tyler, what's your team, man? So I, I also made a more traditional starting lineup, but then a small ball lineup. So I guess I'll start with the small ball since that's what Joe just talked about. Uh, I went with. Uh, James Akinjo, LJ Peak, Rodney Pryor, uh, Josh LeBlanc, and Marcus Derrickson with Caleb Johnson as my sixth man would be my small ball lineup. Caleb, and okay. I, I I think Caleb will win you games. Like Caleb does so much that uh, Caleb was one of my favorite players on the team for the four years just because everything he did never showed up on the stat sheet, but he did a ton of things I think get get you wins in close games. Like if you don't have somebody like Caleb on your team and you're consistently in close games, I think more often than not, you're not going to be getting those 50, 50 balls going your way. You're not going to be getting those tips on passes. You, uh, that would lead to opposition buckets. I think Caleb is kind of like a glue guy, a, a guy who's just going to get you those extra, you know, two or three things you need in a, in the, over the course of a game to, to pull it out. In, a per- in perfect example of that was, uh, it would be your freshman year, my senior year, is when they had that remarkable – I think they came back from 11 with two minutes left against Creighton. Creighton, and I want to say, yeah. He had, yeah, he had, you know, two steals, a charge, made a layup. Like, he, you know, kind of – if you want to show a highlight reel or a, a clip from a game that was an embodiment of, of what, you're, what you're preaching right now, that would, be, that would probably be the two-minute clip. Yeah. I, that that's kind of what the first thing that I thought about. I, I just think Caleb is a, is, a, is somebody who's going to win you games where he does stuff that not a lot of other people are willing to do. I'd put somebody like Jake and Mosley in that category as well. Although I think Caleb did. Caleb's obviously a little bit bigger and longer. Um, so that's kind of why I chose him. But if I had to go for a more traditional lineup, um, I'm choosing uh, DSR, who was there for one year during my senior year. Uh, I'm choosing DSR, Rodney Pryor, LJ Peak, uh, Josh LeBlanc, but then I'm subbing in Jesse Govan uh, for Marcus Derrickson. So not 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 that big of a change, but I would make uh, Derrickson my sixth man in that lineup. But I I think Joe had a quite the pool of players to choose from. Markel Starks <laughs> was Markel Starks and Jabril Trawick when I was going to the when I went to that game. Um, the Louisville game, and then when I was watching the team on TV, Otto was obviously the the star on that team. But I loved watching Markel Starks and Jabril Trawick play. I, I tried to like emulate them when I went to to high school basketball practice and stuff like that. Like I wanted to get on the floor like Jabril. I wanted to, you know, just be calm and good with the ball like like Markel was. Like those guys were 
at that time, the people I wanted to watch when I was watching Georgetown. So I, I, I'm a little bit biased in saying that I think Joe's team probably uh, would edge mine. And I don't think Markel and DSR get enough credit. Obviously, the, the season didn't end the way, uh, you know, they would have liked. But for that 2013-14 that year, it was the first year of the new Big East. Georgetown, they had a couple injuries. Jabril had to sit out a couple games. Then Josh Smith had to sit out, I think, the second half of the year. Um, you know, they, they kind of carried that team, so to speak. I, I know that's a, a, a saying that everyone likes to say. Um, but it was quite true because if they didn't score, the two of them didn't com- combine to score 45 or 50 in a game, they, the Georgetown really didn't have a chance because, you know, they, they didn't really have many shot creators other than those two on the team that year. And that's just, just how it happened to fall. So if those guys had an off night, there was no chance uh, Georgetown was winning. I mean, you could look back at some of those box scores from, from when, they, from that year, which I think they just, they were the last team out. They ended up going to the NIT. Uh, how, how they carried that team and just made them competitive was uh, something that's a little overlooked, I think even though the season didn't go the way people wanted it to. Yeah, I think particularly for Markel, because DSR did come in with a pretty good national pedigree, pretty highly rated recruit. He was going to Xavier and he flipped, but a lot of big schools, Michigan State was in on him. And maybe it's just because I was doing a lot of recruiting news at that time that that kind of resonates with me. But um, so I feel, and you know, DSR, yeah, DSR is on top. He's the school's all-time leading three-point shooter. Um, you know, he's further up on the all-time scoring charts. But Markel Starks, because he didn't come in with the the hype of a Austin Freeman or a Chris Wright or, you know, not even really Jason Clark, but he was in that period where they just kept getting, and this is an issue currently, they were getting, you know, the best guys locally, you know, for a long time. Yeah. Um Chris, Chris and Austin were on here and they had, they had their own podcast where they've spoken the reasons for why that, that, that didn't continue. But I do think Markel, who's had a really good career um, overseas, he still plays. He's good. Same as um, Jason Clark, uh, Chris Wright's still playing and Austin Freeman recently retired this past summer. But yeah, those were, those were guys. DSR did not play. I think he got injured. Um, I'm not sure. I've seen him around. But I've seen him around at games. He was at the Thompson Center. He's very, very nice, friendly guy. I want to say he's into music at the current period. But uh, yeah, those are just all those guards. Just I mean, it's you know the riches Georgetown had there for a while was you know talking about these teams. It's just like man. Um, but yes, I would agree that I don't think Starks gets his due in the. Just when you when you sort of look back at Georgetown, I don't think he gets mentioned, but I can't. You know, it's one of the best parts about having these podcasts with you with with other guests has been reminiscing. But it always gets to the point of oh man, like if this had just gone this way or if this had gone that way, and that 2014 team, I think I think it might have been Super Bowl weekend. Uh, they got Jabril back and they upset Michigan State. I want to say that game was in the Garden. They went on yeah, a I was there of... for it. It was it was awesome. That was one of the privileges of, you know, uh, I grew up here uh, yeah. in, in Long Island, not too far away, going to games at the Garden, to Nick games and college games at the Garden. And that was one of the – one cooler things is going to a game at the Garden, but I also had the luxury of I could uh, 
loop it in with a trip home to, to see my family and, and all that stuff. But I, I remember covering that game, Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. And um, it was kind of, I think Michigan State was number six or seven uh, in the country at the time. And Georgetown was, was reeling off a couple of losses because Jabril had gotten hurt. It, uh, a few guys had gotten hurt. And, I, I mean, I, I think, and, and no disrespect to John, but I think they had, the, they had a game at Butler because of the injuries where, and, and a lot of foul trouble where John Caprio was playing center for them uh, for, for, for 10 minutes in a game, uh, which, which was, you know, kind of how, how, how things were going at the time, which I don't think John envisioned when the season started. But, yeah, and they come in, they, they get that big win, and it kind of catapulted on, them on a mini run. I'm actually looking, now that you talk, talk about it, I got my computer open in front of me. Yeah, they went on kind of a mini run that rejuvenated their season for a bit. They beat Michigan State, then went at the Paul Butler Providence and kind of put them back into the bubble conversation. But I'll forever remember after the game, one of the better, uh, one of the cooler things is obviously sitting in with coaches who you never thought uh, you sit in a room with, but then hearing some of the quotes that I, you know, I'm sure Tyler and, and you, Bobby, been in much more of these than us can, can, can say this. Uh, some of the quotes you hear from the coaches that you'll forever remember. I remember Tom Izzo. First of all, I, I'll put uh, him on the list of top five toughest guys I've been in a room with where I'm like scared for my life. Yeah. Like after a loss, Tom Izzo after a loss is not someone you want to be around. Um, and I still remember when, when I think it was one of the Michigan State uh, beat reporters asked him, and I forget the player, but he asked him why, uh, you know, why was, uh, you know, why did so-and-so come off the bench so late? You know, this guy apparently who, who normally started, he's like, well, uh, you know, well, Williams couldn't find the classroom this week, so I couldn't start him. Like you would never hear that from a Georgetown like the, the you know just the the contra contrary way of you know here in Georgetown who when they presented things would try and always be the most polite and 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 player friendly from from their perspective whereas Izzo comes out and just puts this guy on blast because he he couldn't go to class that week that's why he had to sit him like it, yeah. it was just one of the funnier uh, stories I remember but yeah that was I, I'm sorry to get uh, off topic there but yeah that was that was definitely a fun fun game. That that was uh, what could have been for the team for the rest of the year. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it you know it ended with them somehow. Well, it didn't end, but basically their season ended in the Big East tournament. They lost to DePaul, which at the time I didn't realize that they were probably going to be in the tournament. All they had basically once the selection came out on Sunday, it turns out if they just won that game, they would have made they would have gotten into the tournament on you know. Without Josh Smith, who was, did some stupid stuff, he wasn't able to play. But Starks and DSR, which is why this whole thing started, would have carried that team into the tournament. And then you, you know, you you make the tournament, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. It would have ended in 16. But yeah, so this is a long way of saying that Markel Starks was a really good Hoya. And it was, you know, cool to see him Doesn't on the get team. Yeah. Tyler, I think <laughs> your team probably loses. Um, yeah. Even your three, even your small ball team. I just don't know what we're getting out of. We got a Kinjo, Peak, Prior. I guess your team could get hot if it's what you know if it's junior year Derrickson basically because I think Derrickson was gonna be. When you look at all the players that haven't made the NBA, and Derrickson did have a cup of coffee with the Warriors. Um, he was a guy that got hurt right when he got to school. I don't think he really got totally right until his junior year, uh, the first year of viewing. And he was, you know, a really, really good player. I will argue people that 
felt Jesse was because I think I think Jesse got second team all Big East and Derrickson didn't. And I thought it was pretty clear that Derrickson was the better player, but that's a whole other podcast, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, Derrickson... his junior year, he was sixteen and eight a game. I mean, he he went from eight and four a game to sixteen and eight between his sophomore and junior years. So that jump, I've never he seen was hurt like that in one year. Yeah. I think he got hurt when they, they took that trip to like, was it like Italy and Switzerland? Oh, I want to say he either got hurt on that trip or he got hurt in Kenner league. He got hurt in the summer and he was sort of never right. Yeah. He was, he was sort of never right. Um, okay. Let's, let's pause for station identification. Okay. We're back. <laughs> Sorry. That's just, <laughs> that just sort of makes me laugh. Um, Do we have the uh, 2020 update or no? What's what's the 2020 update? Oh no, here they have, uh, you know, on the WFAN here in the in, in uh, New York, they do the you know the sports updates every 20 minutes with the scores and 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 breaking news, all that stuff. But I was worried that you're on Twitter have... and you were about to tell me that UMBC or Georgetown came down with a positive case and they're pausing. So I actually, uh, no, I, no, I, my my heart stopped for a second. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to give you a, a false alarm. <laughs> so guys. You guys are removed from school, not that not that far, but you are you are removed. Georgetown's working on five years of not making the tournament. You guys caught some of that. I guess Tyler's caught almost all of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was the first undergraduate class in like forty years to not see an NCAA tournament. How so? You know, like I said, Tyler's been involved until this year. I think you had to take a step back. How surprising is this, you know, as alums, as young alums, um, where sort of the program is right now? And what's your sense for how it's being received by the students on campus? I assume you go to Georgetown. It's probably like the in thing to go to games. I know there's a little bit of a little bit of an obstacle because you can't just roll out of bed and just walk across the street. You got to, you know, get on a bus and you got to plan it. You got to take a bus back, all that stuff. But are you, you know, how do you feel where the program is and how do you think it's being seen by the current, the current students? I mean, for me personally, I'm kind of already looking forward to the next year. Um, I don't really expect the team to be very competitive this year, but in terms of, um, in terms of what you were saying that you can't really get out of bed and just walk over to the game. I never thought, uh, and one th- I don't know if they did this while Joe was there, but I definitely noticed they started doing it my sophomore, junior, and senior years. They started providing shuttle buses every 15 minutes uh, from like an hour and a half before the game up until 15 minutes before tip uh, to take students over. And I don't remember them doing that my freshman year, but I could be wrong. And I definitely think that helped with um, attendance. I think the problem the team had – uh and part of the reason i think student interest i noticed somewhat of a decrease in student interest during my time there uh i think it really started to get bad you know you'd think with a new coach who's a school legend uh in ewing interest would skyrocket um i think that kind of was backtracked a little bit by the schedule uh their non-conference schedule was obviously historically bad um historically weak, I guess I should say, in um, Ewing's first season. And it's hard enough I don't think that's ever come up on this podcast. Uh, 
Yeah. Sorry. Well, go on. No, all good. But um, I, you know, when you're playing these games in you know your early season non-conference games in late November, early December, it's finals time. You know, for students, and you're not really going to convince a lot of people, even if they did pay for student season tickets, which is a whole other subject that I would love to get into sometime. Um, you're not going to convince somebody who has two finals coming up, uh, you know, in three days time to go and watch Georgetown take on, I don't know, some MEAC team on at 630 on a Wednesday night at the Verizon Center. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. But I, I do feel like the, you know, throughout the four years, it was consistently, people were consistently like ready to go to games on Saturday. And like, we're looking forward to playing Syracuse and the big teams and big East games. Um, and one thing I will say, I feel like in, in a lot of the, in, in a lot of the seasons throughout my four years, I feel like there was always this point later on in the season where people were like, okay, well, they had some bad losses. You know, they were hovering around like the 11, 12 loss mark, but they were like, well, we've still got Villanova on the schedule. We've still got Marquette. We still got a couple of good teams that if we beat, if we beat, you know, we can put together an at-large bid or something like that. There was always, always, always that feeling, and they would always lose like seven straight games to end the season or something like that. But then, you know, when the when the season started up again, people were were back and interested. I just think, um, you know, especially when they were doing well on recruiting with Akinjo and McClung, like everybody knew McClung because of you know the obviously the, the YouTube videos and stuff like that. So interest was like that's that was the most interest I noticed, uh, you know, kind of post JT three, but yeah, I don't know. I I feel like, I feel like they could do, there are a couple of things the program could do to engage students better that they aren't currently doing. And I definitely think, well, I don't think students should be paying for season tickets. And I know it has something to do with, uh, I'm, I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that they're paying rent to use the, the Verizon center and stuff like that. But, you know, okay. you talk to people who go to, to, you know, state schools like Maryland or, or even people who go to like Villanova and stuff. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people, they all have lottery systems. So, you know, if you win a lottery, if you win a ticket through the lottery and you go to a game, that's going to boost your chances uh, of getting a lottery ticket, you know, for the next games or for the bigger games when more people are entering the lottery, where if you get a ticket and you don't give it to somebody or you don't go, basically okay. the ticket doesn't get used, you get dock points. It's a lot uh, to ask students to pay $100 on top of, and, and before they were doing the shuttle bus service, it was $100 for the student ticket, and then it was the Ubers to get there, and you know, food when you're at the arena. Like it was a lot of it was it was a lot of time, but it was also a lot of money. And um, I, I just I I was always kind of rubbed the wrong way a little bit that students were charged for those season tickets, just mainly because I knew people at other schools weren't being charged. And so I feel like if I know by the time I was a junior or senior, people were like, I'm not paying a hundred dollars to watch this team. That's not going to be competitive. Whereas I think if they made it a little bit harder to get tickets, not just anybody who wants one can buy one. Like if they did that kind of lottery system, it would kind of make people want to go to games more. Um, I don't know. I think, I think that's one major thing that, that they could look into. I don't know how much revenue it generates the team or anything like that, how it impacts anything to do with the Verizon Center rent or paying for the buses, but yeah, it, it was a financial commitment that I guess I wasn't expected to, to do when I was a freshman. And so, yeah, that's just one thing I think that they could do better. 
we lose Joe? Uh, yeah, no, I'm here. I, 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 I kind of building off of Tyler's, uh, I think one thing, if you're, if you're good, you're going to get people to come. So I think that obviously is winning, winning is the, the easiest answer to the problem. If you have a team that, that people will want to come and, and root for and expect to win or be uh, pretty competitive, um, they're, they're going to come. Because, I, I, I mean, and also it just could be, you know, times change. But my freshman year, uh, you know, they were a top 10 team for pretty much the whole, for most of the year, um, especially in January, February. And it also helps with the opponents they're playing. But, you know, they, they would consistently, especially for the Saturday uh, weekend games and even some weeknight games, they'd fill Verizon Center with 15,000, 16,000 people, which aside from when they play Syracuse now, I don't think they really do anymore. Um, you, you can you can fact check me on that if you want, but uh, and also things changed because my and I think they did try to go out of their way to like Tyler was saying they had the buses go straight from McDonough to to Verizon Center. In my freshman year, you used you have to get the the bus from McDonough to take you across the uh, Key Bridge to the Roslyn Metro, and then you hop on the Roslyn Metro to go all the way to the game, and uh, and then kind of. That, that kind of evolved when, when people figured out, uh, like, and I'm dating myself here, but like my, my sophomore and junior years when Uber started to become a thing and then people started figuring out, hey, if we split this four ways, it's only like four bucks a man for us to, you know, go to Verizon Center from here and we can decide when we leave and, and all that stuff. So that, that, that's one thing. I think they, they tried to help, but obviously having a winning team helps the most. And, and two, at least I noticed this when, when I, uh, when I was there is obviously they transitioned from my freshman year. You go from, you know, new biggies or old biggies to new biggies and your games, your primetime or premier games are against Syracuse, Louisville. Um, we had Pitt, uh, come in. We had, uh, uh, who, who, uh, Notre you know, Dame, playing, West playing, yeah, Notre, Notre Dame, West Virginia. Probably, um, you know, yeah, comes back, uh, baby. Yeah. You, UConn who's back now. Welcome back to the party. Um, you know, the, the, the names of the program were a little more recognizable for the average fan. So when you go to the next year, it's like, you know, who's, you know, I knew who they were, but you know, you don't have the same affinity or rivalry with, with Creighton or Butler that you do with a, you know, a, a Syracuse or, or even, I know that, you know, geographically they're kind of breaching, uh, what the Big East meant, but or a Louisville or a Notre Dame, you know, there's not the same synergy or, or affinity between the two schools in terms of where they were as a, at least at the time of how they were viewed as a national, you know, basketball program that was nationally known and, and nationally recognized. So I think that definitely helped. And then I, one thing I also noticed, and I think JT, I, I remember covering the team, this is kind of at least their first year in the league of the new Big East is they kind of got, Fox Sports kind of had their way with Georgetown and the, and the and the conference with how they scheduled them. It felt like felt like every single Big East game was a uh, a Monday night at nine o'clock or Thursday night at eight thirty or, or uh, you know against against their Villanova or Creighton, and there was never really that big Saturday home game because I think you know Fox for ratings purposes wanted to kind of parade Georgetown out there in prime time, um, and and then they had a lot of quick turnarounds because of that. I remember they had. I think they had to play a game on a Thursday night and then go to Creighton a day later and play them at noon or kind of the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, uh, I think, I think one, the, 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 
the, the, the brand names of their opponents. Again, the Big East, in terms of basketball on the court, I, I think we, we all could say now safely, was it seven years after, it couldn't have been more of a success if you're a non-Georgetown fan in terms of how it's panned out, in terms of how these teams have kind of evolved, especially the new ones, the Creighton Butlers of the world, and kind of how Villanova has, you know, given that the league its flagship team that's going to compete for a title every year and be in the Final Four every other year. Um, unfortunately, everybody thought Georgetown would be that team when it when it first started, but um, the, the 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 brand names of the program and the new Big East were not as recognizable as the old Big East, and I think attendance and interest in the team kind of suffered as a result. But the end all be all to to make a long point and long story short is if you win, people will come. And, and Georgetown unfortunately hasn't had the success that uh, that that we would hope for over the last five or six years that would, that would cause people to, to drop everything and, and go to Verizon center or w- whatever it's called now to, to go see them play. Yeah. It's hard to have this conversation. And I think, you know, Tyler brought up the, the tickets and how much they cost and having a lottery and trying to, trying to do something different there, but it does seem like this conversation always, no matter how you want it to go, always comes back to the it's winning stupid type of, comment right it just it's hard you know it's hard to get that going um one of the things tyler and i have sort of joked about and uh, you know i don't know joe if you're into the international soccer scene like we are i am not (laughs) he likes he's a uh, liverpool supporter i'm a that that i know and you're an arsenal guy arsenal yeah um you know georgetown's become a, a soccer school right like you know, I had the men's coach on. We talked for it was incredible, like ninety minutes. He's awesome. We could have talked for probably like ninety hours. It's, it, you know, it felt like um, the women's program has been really good too. I think they've been to a college cup. If they haven't, they've been really close. Georgetown's been to two college cups since I've been since I've been covering the men's basketball team. Is there, you know, I know that soccer's become cool. You know, it's got this hipster element. Um, is there anything to that, or is that just is that just you know? Uh, uh, pipe dream that I'm coming up with the, the the idea that like you can roll out of bed to go to a soccer game of a nationally ranked program that has a chance to win stuff. Um, you know, the seasons overlap a little bit. Has the student sort of shifted that way or is it just a matter of Georgetown basketball wins? The kids are going to start coming back more. Well, I think I can definitely hand it off to Tyler, but what you're talking about, I definitely saw it take place when I was there. So my freshman year is the first time they made it to the, the college cup final. I think they played Indiana. Yeah. In the they, final, beat Maryland. they beat Maryland. Yeah, in they beat Maryland. Yeah. They beat semifinal. Yeah. That was, I, I remember watching that game. We, we had 20 guys crowded into a dorm room on a, on a 14 inch TV trying to watch that game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember that fondly. I think it was a Friday night. Um, it was just after anyway. media veil for men's basketball. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I remember that vividly, but you can kind of see it gain momentum because they would be, they were, top 20 every year, maybe even top 10. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the home games, especially when they got into Big East tournament, because I think the Big East tournament, at least for the beginning, starts on campus. And then when they would play with the NCAA tournament, which is awesome for soccer, if you're the higher, uh, lower-seeded team or higher-seeded team, however you phrase it, you get yeah, to yeah. host the team on campus. And so some of those games were – were awesome. I remember they played like uh, Virginia and, and, and Maryland and Syracuse at home, I want to say. 
And, and the real cool part is they would have, you know, the, the barricades that would surround the field. They had the stands up there on Shaw, the regular bleachers that are permanently there. And then they would put these barricades around that would engulf, kind of encircle the whole stadium. And, and, and the, the fun thing would be to, to, you know, of course, naturally the, the crowd would form behind the opposing goalie and just heckle him the whole game. And it kind of be like, a, you know, and then there'd be chants starting, you know, like you're at a, I've never been to a European soccer game, but, you know, kind of how it would be like on TV when you're watching it. Uh, and, and those were tons, tons of fun. Uh, it, it's just that I don't think Georgetown will ever be, and, and like you're saying, Coach Weiss, having interviewed him and covered him for, for a bunch of years, great guy, but I don't think, I don't think uh, Georgetown's ever going to be a soccer school because just of the, the level of interest that that would require. It will always be a basketball school. Yes, in terms of success on the field, it's, the, it's a soccer school, but in terms of where the, the mainstream student interest will be, it will always be in basketball. And then I guess I'll hand it off to Tyler because he obviously was there more recently than I was in terms of kind of building off of that. But I definitely saw it happen slowly over the, the, the years I was there of how it went from kind of, you know, it was just a sport on campus to, wow, we're actually pretty good at this and people would follow it and let's go to some of the games because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, when my freshman year was the year, that was the most successful year in the program's history up to that point. So I think they, um, and I was covering them as like the B reporter for The Voice at that time. They rattled off something like, I think it was like 20 straight games without losing and 18 of them were wins. It was, it was unbelievable. Their entire back four got drafted to MLS. Their two strikers were signed to homegrown contracts. Like uh, JT Marcinkowski, who was a freshman at the time is now a goalkeeper for San Jose. Like they were just playing in the MLS playoff game last night. Like that, that, that team was unbelievably talented and unbelievably successful, won their first Big East tournament. And I remember, like Joe said, with the Big East tournament, you you host you host the games on campus, and they had those barriers set up, and it was packed every single game uh, when when the team was was flying high. Um, and that year was the the most interest I think I noticed in the team. Uh, I obviously wasn't on campus. Uh, I missed the the national championship year by one year, so I wasn't on campus to really gauge it, but having covered the team for three and a half years. Uh, I, I think the, I think the hardest part with soccer is that yes, you can roll out of bed and walk up to Shaw field. It's like, I think max an eight minute walk from any of the dorms on campus. Uh, I think the problem you run into with college soccer is a lot of the games are at like 3 PM on a Tuesday in the middle of classes. <laughs> so you run in, you run into issues with, you know, you might be playing a huge game, but it's at such an inconvenient time. Like people are in class, like just physically cannot make it there. Um, and I think to Joe's point, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if you're ever going to get a, 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 any school in the United States to be a soccer school, just because I don't think soccer is at that level of interest that uh, when you, when you talk about programs that have football or basketball, I think one of those will probably always uh, take precedence. But I think for all intents and purposes, Georgetown is a soccer school. And I think the students are definitely coming around to it. Like there were watch parties for away games, watch parties for the NCAAs. Uh, they had buses that went down to carry uh, when the women's team was playing in the college cup. They had buses that went down for the men's team when they were playing in the college cup. Like people are interested. Uh, I just don't think it will ever 
be able to surpass basketball considering, you know, just how much history the basketball team has. But I, I don't know, Bobby, we joke online, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious about it. Georgetown is a soccer school and probably <laughs> has been for the last five years. It, it It is crazy that it's not even just, you know, one of the programs, it's both men's and women's have been mm-hmm. just top notch, which, you know, maybe there's something to that. It kind of, you know, they each push each other or there's the relationship. I'm not sure, but it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Um, so, okay. The team needs to win. You know, Georgetown did something that I really thought they would never do when they made a coaching change. I really didn't think so. And I thought it happened. I know people that are, they're still listening right now that um, think I'm crazy for saying it, but I thought the two years of missing the tournament, you know, I thought that that was something you could, you could recover from. I was wrong. Uh, now Georgetown's going five years without making a tournament. Um, two with JT3, three with Ewing. It looks like Georgetown's in a complete reset. I would say that they are more of an unknown this year in year four of Ewing than they were when he got here. Cause when he got here, he had Govan and he had Derrickson, um, two guys that were pretty heavily recruited. And you figure at least one of them might make the NBA. Um, you know, right now I think Jamarco Pickett is the one guy you could look to and say, he's got an NBA body. If he plays at a higher level, I think he could be getting looks, um, you know, with all the players that they lost and everything, I don't think that Ewing's job should be in in danger right now. But I do sort of wonder how long they could go without making a tournament based on the amount of money that the school has spent, you know, between the Thompson Center and playing games at uh, Capital One Arena. When you, when Tyler, you specifically said you're not looking forward to this year, you're looking forward to next year, and that's probably because of the recruiting class does look like it's pretty good. And I will be fair to you in here. It looked like last year at this time they were a tournament team. It looked like year three. This was the you know when he when he got here it was I think in the third year he made the tournament and he he was on pace. They lost four guys right there. They had a commitment decided to flip to Michigan. They end up losing McClung after the season. That's basically six guys that you are counting on to be on this year's team are not on this year's team. There's eight new players, I mean, three three grad transfers. I, mean, also, I'm, I, know, I know I've been talking forever. I'll just say one more thing. How how long do you think that this can sort of go on? And you know, what's your guys' take from covering the team and from just being young young alums? What 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 sort of your thoughts on it? Well, I think the, the first, it's just, I don't mean to, to, to backtrack for a second, but to a point you brought up earlier is I think everybody thought that if they were going to break from JT three, when they did, um, you, you, if you're going to break, which, which some were for, I think there's obviously the, the, the majority of the fan base was for it. Um, but if you're going to break with it, break with it cleanly and, and, and kind of, you know, the, and, and and bring in a completely fresh face to Georgetown. Now, obviously, Ewing's our our guy now, and everybody, I think, at least from from people I talk to, is fully behind it and are willing to give this year kind of what it is. And and, and thankfully, there's I'm not a big recruiting buff, but there's a big recruiting class behind this that you have to kind of pay to to, to find out about. And um, then when when you get after a year of that, I think that's when you have to. At least if their results aren't there, at least have a 
have a conversation. But I, unfortunately, you think there'd be much more clarity three years in. But I, I think we're kind of almost back to where we started uh, in terms of, hey, we got to give them another year, got to give some more time, see how see how things play out. Yeah, I, I'll say I, I can't imagine. I'm not aware as long as I've been following college basketball, which obviously isn't as long as you guys, but I don't know if I've ever seen a new coach in, encounter a situation like Ewing did last year. I, I guess, I guess new is kind of liberal in the fact that it was his third year, but it was finally the year he was supposed to get all that momentum. And then everything that could have gone wrong went wrong at the exact same time, right when they were getting into like the swing of things, you know, early on in the season. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean I, a and, year ago this time, they were up here in New York and they took Duke, who was the number one team in the country, I think, at the time. They 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 they, they hung with them and almost beat them. Like, the, and and everybody walked away from that thinking, wow, we got ourselves, we got ourselves a team this year. Yeah, I mean, he had three three incredible freshmen returning in Akinjo, McClung, and LeBlanc, and then, you know, he had his core. He had Yurt Seven coming. Uh, you know, it was supposed to finally be the center that they needed. All that stuff was was coming to a head. And then I've never seen a set of circumstances like the ones that unfolded last year. So I kind of give him a pass for that. And then this year, obviously, having so much roster turnover, like I said, I'm not really looking forward to this year. And if we finish, if Georgetown finishes anywhere uh, above 10th or below, however you want to phrase it, um, in the single digits, I, I will consider that a successful season and move on. I think all I'm really looking for, and I think um, in a way it's kind of nice that this, one of the silver linings with this season being so in flux uh, with, with COVID and, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen with the NCAA tournament. I don't think anybody's really, uh, I, don't, I, I think the, the optics of missing a tournament in this year are a little bit, less harsh than they would be in other years. If you guys feel differently, please feel free to to push back on me on that. But I feel like interest is a little diminished or expectations for everybody in college basketball order are a little bit different this year. Um, So really, I think if, you know, if the team is able to put together a couple of big East wins, you know, maybe fight for that ninth or 10th spot. And then, you know, you see the production from people who are going to be around next year and who you think might be key pieces along with the incoming freshman next year. Like I'm thinking of Timothy Agafe, Kudus Wahab and Jamari Sibley. I think if you see good development out of those guys, then it's, then it's a successful season, but I don't think he can have another two years where the team is just like clearly among the bottom feeders of the Big East. I think at some point they have to break into that midfield pack, whether it's in the first year with the likes of Matumbo and uh, the rest of the, the like Beard and Riley next year, or maybe in year two of their careers. It's, uh, in sometime in the next two or three years, they have got to be in the midfield. Otherwise, I think you start looking elsewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. I think I, we're I just think... happy to have a season, right? If they're able to pull up right. a season, that's a win for everybody with with all right. that's going on with with COVID. So yeah. I think it kind of masks what could happen on the court if if they ever get on the court to begin with. Everyone's just right. happy to see that see college basketball happening. Period. Yeah, I've got a preview that I could hit send right now, but I'm not going to. But I think I think this season basically is. 
I think if you're a Georgetown fan, there's three things you probably want to look towards. You know, Jamarco Pickett and Javon Blair, they've been with Ewing from day one. They both have a chance to finish as the first classmates to each go over a thousand career points since um, Austin Freeman and Chris Wright did it, which is kind of crazy to think about. And there's a lot of reasons why other wow. classmates. Well, because there's all, there's always something that happens, you know, like Otto didn't stay long enough. Right. Um, and I'm not sure actually, maybe no one else, his class would have, uh, would have done it, but like, there's just, you know, certain guys didn't, and you know, Derrickson and, and uh, Jesse would have definitely done it, but Derrickson, I think, I think Derrickson finishes with like 990 or something. So he needs like one more game or he stays another year and then him and Jesse. So a lot of it isn't because of the talent. It's just because of circumstances. You know, I think most people, you know, you, you would have, you would have figured Isaac Copeland and LJ Peak would have done it. I was just but, about to say that. That was my junior year. Yeah. That, that's you fun, know, yeah. Copeland didn't, you know, stay long enough. And so, but anyway, so I think that, you know, it is their senior year and they do have the option of another year of eligibility. Now that's down the road. They might want to move on with their lives. Georgetown and every school out there is going to have big decisions to make with the seniors and if they get to come back or not, right? Because they might have to pay for it and there's all kinds of weird things. So I think if you're looking for something, you're looking to send off Javon and Jamarco in a great way for all they've done for Georgetown. Second thing would be in year three of Ewing, George, or in the first three years of of uh, Patrick Ewing, Georgetown. I like to use Ken Palm. If you use Ken Palm's numbers, they've just been a terrible defensive team. There's just no way around it. Historically bad. Georgetown or the Ken Palm stats go back to um, the ninety six ninety seven season, which was the second year of Victor Page, which was forever ago. Georgetown in that span has been top 10 like eight times in Ken Palm adjusted defense they, their their average is like 35 and with Ewing it's been like 120 130 125 so it's just been so I think with the with the young guys coming in if you can see some semblance of better defense and going into last year a lot of people were like oh you know Jesse's a terrible post defender and all kind of goes from there well Jesse wasn't on the team last year and the defense didn't get any better um, I think with Cutis Wahab in the middle and Ego FA, I think that there's a chance that you could see a much better defensive team. McClung got a lot of the Georgetown blame for defense. I think Tyler could have scored some points on him at times. Which I, I find ironic that, that goes, far. Which I find ironic that he goes to play at Texas Tech where all he's going to be asked is to play defense and learn how to play defense. Um, well, of I all think the that, places where he would land, I, I, I find it a kind of odd that that I, I would have had that if you had said oh what's a major school that he'll land that I, I don't think I would put them on the list solely because of their their uh how oriented they are on the defensive end of the floor and how, how offense kind of takes a back seat with them. and isn't that going to be interesting to watch because I think it'll you know you'll be able to sort of draw some stuff to what's going on here and the and the staff if if they find a way to make McClung useful on defense um, or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Beard just feels like he has a team that's good enough that he can handle a liability on defense for a kid that's going to fill it up offensively, a very high usage kid, obviously, but very, uh, talented. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, Jamarco and Javon going off, um, you know, their senior year rooting for them, I think will be easy for the, for all the fans, um, seeing which freshmen are going to help you going forward. 
and then just trying to establish something defensively, I think are the three things that this really weird season of, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the schedule. They're supposed to play 25 games. I would probably go with the under, right? That doesn't, it doesn't see. <laughs> if doesn't, they play 15, I, 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 I consider that a success in, in general, what, uh, no matter what they do in that, just whether they play 15 games or not this year, given all that's going on in the country yeah. right now. So I think, I think that is what you look for, but Joe, it must be hard for you based on, cause you, you, you came in with more success, although I guess Tyler was watching from afar, but, is it sort of hard to believe where they are based on how it started when you were a freshman? Well, it's kind of funny how the mentality changed where at least freshman year, especially when they were going on that run. And, and, and I, I want to say they won 10 in a row in yeah. January, February, leading all the way up to that. The, the, you know, at the time it was their last big East uh, regular season meeting with, with Syracuse when they, they whooped them to, to win the, uh, the regular season. Yep. It, the attitude going into every game was, oh, it's a Georgetown game tonight. And the attitude was, oh, this is going to be fun. We expect to win. Like, we're going in, like, we're, we're you know, we, we think we have a very good shot at winning today. Whereas it's kind of funny how that, that state and, and, and sentiment and confidence has slowly eroded over time where, you know, last year, I, I mean, I never thought I'd be saying – you know, going to a, a game watch with friends at a bar here in the city when they're going to play DePaul on a Saturday night. Oh, I hope they have a chance today. You think they'll give them a shot? Like, <laughs> I don't think that was uh, something freshman year Joe thought would be in the cards here. Um, in terms of just how kind of the sentiment and kind of how the, the, the confidence in the program has shaped, has been, you know, kind of has kind of eroded. And a lot of that you could maybe draw back to Florida Gulf Coast or, or you know a lot of the especially they 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 didn't pull the pull the trigger on any but then my senior year is when it kind of happened is there'd always be those those games they play early season where like you know Towson would give them a game or Duquesne would give them a game in the early season and be like oh Georgetown just pulled it out of the last second no problem and then finally our, my senior year was uh 15-16 that's when they lost to Monmouth and UNC Wilmington and and Radford and and Asheville and everybody's like, well, what, what's going on here? And, and, and that, that, you know, it doesn't all happen at once, but it, it, it happens slowly over time where, where the, the perception of even internally, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to win today. We're going to win the big East. We, we, we're going to go to the tournament to, oh, I hope we can give the Paul a game. Like, are we going to win tonight? Are we sure? Like, it, it's kind of amazing how that all shifted. It shifted. It shifted. Well, look, guys, um, we had more stuff. I have a outline. Everyone has the outline. I've taken a lot of your time, and there's no reason why we can't talk again. And hopefully there will be some basketball to talk about. Uh, the 11th, the, the predicted 11th ranked in the Big East Hoyas face UMBC in a couple days. I think it's at 4 or 5 o'clock, which is kind of weird, depending on your work schedule. Um. So the season's here. Joe did not break any news during this as far as uh, any 14-day pauses. So I think I think this would be a good place to stop, be a good place to remind everyone listening, if you've made it this far, and I know you have, to find us wherever <laughs> you're listening to your podcast. I'm not going to tell you where because you're already, you're already listening. Clearly, you have a place where you listen. So subscribe. Rate us. Give me some feedback. If there's something you want to hear I'm not doing, 
at Bobby Bancroft on Twitter is the way to get to me. I trust that you will. Joe and Tyler, this was great. Let's do it more often. Do you have any parting shots? No, thanks for having me. And happy Thanksgiving to, uh, to you, Bobby, to you, Tyler, and to everyone else listening. And stay safe and healthy. It's going to be tough to top, Tyler. Uh, yeah, can I just say ditto to everything, Joe? <laughs> no. Thanks again, Bobby. This, this was a lot of fun, and you're right. Hopefully there's some basketball to talk about next time we get together. But until then, I will uh, just look forward to, to lunch tomorrow and, you know, every day after that. I bid you a kente corner goodbye. <laughs>